congregation that is read from the Heidelberg Catechism, page 67, Lord's Day 33, to questions and answers 88 through 91. Question 88, of how many parts does the true conversion of man consist? Answer, of two parts, of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. What is the mortification of the old man? It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. Question 90. What is the quickening of the new man? It is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and the light to live according to the will of God in all good works. 91. But what are good works? Only those who proceed, which proceed from a true faith, are performed according to the love of God and to his glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. So far. So tonight's congregation is about conversion. Conversion. But let me widen the theme a little bit. Conversion. The Holy Ghost killing and bringing to life in order to do good. Because if the Holy Spirit does not quicken and make alive, then we cannot do good works. So the theme is conversion, the Holy Ghost killing and bringing to life in order to do good works. Three thoughts. Slowly killing the old man, the old me, slowly killing him. Secondly, gradually bringing to life the new man. And in the third place, in order to do good works. The Holy Ghost killing and bringing to life in order to do good works, slowly killing the old man, gradually bringing to life the new man in order to do good works. Congregation, God's children are engaged in a war. It's wartime. It's not peace. It's wartime. And it means fighting. It means that they have to take on the armor of God, to use the sword and their boots and their belt and their shields. They have to fight the war unto blood. There's no excuse for being lazy in the service of God. The Lord wants the church to fight the good fight of faith. And therefore, they need that full armor of God. Like the Bible says in 1 Timothy, fight the good fight, not the bad fight, not the wrong fight, not the unpleasant fight, but fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Do your best to receive eternal life. 
whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So fighting, when does that fighting begin? What is that special moment that people are converted? And it is a point of conversion. You know, the last sing-along, we had a stack of questions on paper. We had to answer. One of the questions was, is conversion a moment or a process? Right? And the young friends that were there, about 40 of them, welcome next time to also join. The, we answered the question that there is a, a moment that the fighting begins and then it continues their whole life. By nature, we don't fight the good fight of faith. Maybe we fight in different ways and do our utmost. We fight to be rich and we fight to be doing well and we fight for earthly happiness. But we don't fight the fight of faith. But when the Lord comes and he finds a sinner with his back towards him, absolutely not interested in him, actually fighting against God, an enemy of God, and then for no reason in, in people, the Lord makes the person alive and changes the heart, gives him a heart of flesh, makes him concerned, gives him a different mind, different way of thinking, different feelings, different desires, and the person is, be, is born again. Because if you're born once, you go to hell. But if you're born again, then there's life in your soul, and then it's different. Then you begin to fight the good fight. You begin to see things in a completely different light. Oh, that moment has been decided upon in eternity. The Lord had, let me say it in a simple way, plans from eternity. And before the world began, before there was anything existent, the Lord has chosen a people for himself to stop them at a certain point in time and to say, it's enough now. Hitherto and not further. And then it's happening, that major change of heart. So that is one moment in time. And that moment is precious. And that conversion is, how do I say that? That conversion is complete. It's, it's perfect. God's work is always perfect, right? And yet it's also not complete yet because the Lord let them fight more. And they don't receive complete sanctification, holiness. They, they still struggle with sin. So they have to fight yet. Continue on with the fight. But now in a different fight. So God's people, although made alive in that one moment in time, must continue to fight the good fight of faith. And that's their calling. And the Lord encourages them to do that. And also works it in their hearts to do that. So they must make the best of it, and they must fight God's fight. Now, what does it say here in the hybrid catechism about that? That conversion of man, 
in half of, of how many parts does the true conversion of man consist? There are apparently two sides of that conversion, also of that process. So it's, it's one moment, then the process, and the process are two parts. And the first part is the mortification of the old. And the second is the quickening of the new man. You may say, well, what does that mean? Old man, new man? I just don't get it. You know that very moment that the Lord gave you a new heart? You still have your old man or your old woman. You still have your old personality. That's not gone. You are still there. And there's still that sinful person. There's also a new man created in you. And you have kind of two people in you. And they're fighting. They don't agree. One says, oh, you can do that. The other one says, no, you can't. And they're always arguing, always fighting with each other. The old man does not agree with the new man, and vice versa. So what is conversion? Conversion is make life hard for that old man. Mortify him. Mortify is an old English word. You may recognize the word more in there, M-O-R-T, mort. Mortuarian, right? Death. Death to that old man. Kill him. Mortify him. Make life difficult for him. Try to ruin him. Be against him. With all your might, mortify old nature. Because that's what conversion is. And that conversion is, how do we say that? Is it the work of God? Or is it the work of man? Well, it is the work that the Lord initiates, and the Lord does, but the Lord makes a person that is new now active. And that person himself begins to fight and to mortify the old nature by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you do yourself. Even that sanctification part, even that killing of the old nature, after that point, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Part of that is that you feel your sins. You feel sorry for your sins. Sometimes people feel sorry, right? They've done something to the, to the dad, to the mom, or to their husband, or their wife, and they think, oh, what did, what did I do? I, I should not have done that. I should not, 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 not have said that. And they feel bad, feel sorry, and they apologize. They confess their sins and say, I said that to you. I should never have said that. I did not mean it. I didn't want to say that. I take it back. How do they feel about that? Grieving. And to a certain extent, that is absolutely bitter. When you come to the conclusion what sin actually is, something bitter, a stone in your stomach, something hard on you, something that you say, 
I'm grieving. I feel so sad. In the Bible, that has been compared to losing your first son, to mourning, to losing a beloved one. That is so painful, isn't it? Such a pain in your heart. And that's three times in the Bible. Three times in the Bible, it's the sin and sometimes its consequences are compared to losing the child. Let me read it to you. And then when you read it, you ask yourself the question if you know about that, if that's also in your heart. Jeremiah 6. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, put a sack on, and that, that's a mourning garment, and wallow thyself in ashes. Make yourself wet and then roll in the ash so that you just look very sad. Make thee mourning as for an only son. Make mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation. Most bitter lamentation is bitterness. Not per se bitterness in the sense of bitter against God, but the bitterness of sin and its consequences and of losing. For Amos 8, and I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. You're partying and you're just taking it easy and loving this life and the Lord changed it. And he turned your feast into mourning and all your songs to lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all your loins and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the mourning of an only son. And the end thereof as a bitter day. It's a bitter day. Did you follow this? Did you ask, did you ask yourself, do I know about that bitterness? having sinned against a God, and the taste of that is so awful. It bothers you to no end. To no end. Zechariah 12, the third one. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness to, for this firstborn. So, when the Lord begins that work of regeneration, it's not so that you feel a little uncomfortable. You say, I know we all made mistakes, and I shouldn't have done that. It's, it's deep. It's a mourning. It's a bitterness. It's a sorrow, right? So that's what, it, that's what it also says, right? But it's the mortification. It's a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. Bitterness. Why is it so bitter? Because God has poured out love in your heart. You love him. And you don't want this to happen to him. If you're so sorry for your sins because it's sinned against him, it's just a God. 
and precious and loving God. You just feel horrible. You sinned against such God, not against the harsh God, not against the dictator God, not against the God who is, has no feelings, but against such a tender God. And it's, it gives such a sorrow. And because of that love and that sorrow, you would like, you would like to extinguish all your sins, to root them all up, to rid yourself of all of them. Because those sins make you to miss God. Those sins make you to also separate from God. You know, sins always separate. Think about that. If you're in your sins yet, are you? If you're in your sins yet, there's a separation between you and God. There's a wide gap. It's a gulf. It's, it's, whole, it's deep. It's, you cannot bridge it. It's impossible to get over that on the other side. And it is because of your sins. And you, and you, you, you see what sin has done. And you don't want to add sins anymore to your sins. So you begin to fight. A sincere sort of heart that we have provoked God, our sins, and more and more. See a process? More and more. Hate and flee from them. To hate sin. You may hate. It's okay to hate. Not your neighbors, not yourself, not God's service, but you may hate sin. You may hate Satan. Do it. Hate. What a difference with the Lord Jesus. He never made his father feel sad. He always fought a good fight. And he always glorified his father. There are beautiful texts about it in the Bible. One of them, at least I think is beautiful, is Matthew 17. When the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You may remember that. And behold, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son. The Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. See that? So God the Father expressed his feelings, expressed his thoughts. Of, about his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, he is so, such a beloved son. I am so well pleased with him. Because God the Father looked and looked and could not find one single sin in the life of the Lord Jesus. Now you say, I knew that. Nothing new about that. So what, what does it mean? Don't you love to see that? Don't you love to hear that? Don't you like to look at that picture of Christ having no sin? He knew no sin. He knew no sin. Sometimes that goes in the hearts, in the, in the heads of God's people. No, and they just repeat it, repeat it for themselves. He had no sin. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. Sometimes so dear, so precious to their hearts that they adore him and love him. I want to follow him. I want to be close to him. And then it says, 
in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Also tonight, I may say that. Hear ye him. He is talking. Hear ye him. Of course, God the Father meant that. His son was perfect. Perfect in everything. In loving, in desiring, in obedience, in everything. He had no sin, had no experience with sinful nature of, of others, of, of himself, but he, he dealt with the sinful nature of others, not of himself. So Christ never, ever felt sorry for any sins. He didn't have any sin. And that righteousness of the Lord Jesus needs to cover us so that it's like a coat over us, a blanket over us, so that God the Father does not see our sins anymore. But it's covered with his righteousness, with his obedience. And the room is made for him in our hearts, and we begin to appreciate him and love him and adore him by the work of the Holy Spirit. Then we have also even more desire to be thankful and to root out every sin and to live according to the will of God. The closer you are to Jesus, not all God's people are as close, but the closer you are to Jesus, the harder you fight against sin. Because the more love means, the more, se- the most, the most, the, it's more sensitive, more sensible. Then you begin to say things like, I don't want to fly from the handle anymore. And I don't want to waste my time anymore. And I don't want to be greedy anymore. And I don't want to look at it anymore. And would like to not be involved in this anymore. You begin to fight against all those sins because of the love of God poured out your heart. And when you yet sin, you bow your knees and you confess your sins again before the Lord and seek for forgiveness again. You cry, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You, you have a desire to be holy, the desire to live perfect before the Lord. And even when the Lord gives assurance, and you know by the Holy Spirit that you're one of His, even then, when there's peace in your heart, you still have to keep fighting. The more peace, the more you are motivated to fight that good fight. However, there is never a reason to be puffed up and to boast. And the Lord reminds me of that. He that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall. The congregation, do not underestimate this war. It is serious. It's life-threatening. It's so close. We are not in the same situation as the, as the Ukraine. But in a sense, we are so close to the Lord. And actually, we are in the war. Satan is here it is in our territory, in our country. So we need to fight. We need to have the full armor of God. We need all those weapons in the Bible. Weapons? You have never heard of the weapons from Ephesians 6? To fight the good fight? You haven't heard of the military belt? You can just hang things on. And the military boots, the sword, 
and the helmet, and the breastplate, and the small shield. You know that military belt is the belt, the girdle of truth on your loins, the Bible says. The truth. You need to know the truth of the Bible. You need to study the word of the living God. In order to fight, you, have to, you need the truth. You can't afford this not knowing the truth. You need to, to, to examine the truth. You need to investigate. You need to search the scriptures to have that belt of the truth on your loins. You, know, you need those boots, those military boots, strong feet from the gospel of peace to also reach out to others. You need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God as well. And the helmet of salvation, the hope for salvation, and the big breastplate of righteousness, of holiness, and the smallest shield of faith. Would you like to hear the details? Let me quote the text and let's emphasize some details. So listen for the emphasis. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, above all, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take, take the helmet, child of God, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take, stand. You see those commands, the Lord, encouraging the church, the living church, to stand, to fight, the good fight of faith. So God's children fight and need that hope. They need to exercise in the faith and they need the peace of God. It's a good fight, as I said. It is a serious fight. Count all that. It's not easy. It also is hurting, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. So the Bible says, Apostle Paul's testimony is also quite clear. 1 Corinthians 9. I therefore so run, I run, that's also an example of fighting, running, running. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beat the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, and myself shall be a castaway. That's the first thought. Slowly killing that old man in taking refuge into Christ together with that sincere sorrow of heart. But as I said, that conversion is a one-time thing and then a process, process two sides. It is a killing of the old man and the quickening, feeding, and growing of the new man. 
gradually bringing to life the new man. So thankfulness is that response to God's grace is so that God gives grace for free. And the Lord says, and now I expect from you thankfulness. I'll give you forgiveness. That is completely from my side. You did not have to work for that. You didn't have to merit it. You didn't have to pay for it. I did everything in, this, in the justification. And now it's your turn to also express your thankfulness for me. Is that, is that biblical? Saying that the justification is the work of God and now the Lord is expecting them to return thankfulness? That's not, not biblical. Because that work of quickening the new man and that killing of the old man is also the work of the Holy Spirit. It's both. Thankfulness is a gift and is worked by the Holy Ghost as well. We don't deserve any credit for that. Sanctification is not only abstaining from foul language, but also singing to God's glory. It's not only fighting the lie, but also speaking the truth. It's not only killing your fellow man, not, not to not kill your fellow man, but also loving your neighbor. It's not only not stealing, but also giving. It is quite extensive. It is very rich to, to quicken the new man. And that's the Lord's will. That he sees that in the heart. What is it? Question 19. What is the quickening of the new man? It is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. So conversion as a process is sorrow in there, like mourning in there, right? Mourning, like you lost a child type of thing. At the same time, it's also a sincere, a real, a real joy of heart, not shallow in your mind, fleeting in your heart's joy. Rejoicing in God, because He created all things. Rejoicing in God's providence. Rejoicing in God's Son in grace. So many think that serving God is boring. And only sad and tears and darkness and impossibilities and it's a disaster and you have difficult life and a heavy burden on your back. And that's part of it. I don't deny that. But it's also a joy. A joy. And the Lord speaks in his house of your salvation. And the Lord speaks in his, in his house that he is gracious and long-suffering and willing to forgive. Not boring at all. There's so many laws you say, so many things I'm not, I'm not supposed to do, and yet it's not slavery. Remember Rachel and Leah? Jacob 
worked for Leah seven years. And then he had to work another seven years for Rachel. And did you like that? How, how did it go? How did Jacob feel about working seven years to have Rachel as his wife? Genesis 29, verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him, those seven years, they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. He loved her so much that the, the, the seven years flew. See? It was not difficult for him. There's love in his heart. If there's love, obedience is easy. That yoke is not heavy. It's easy. And so for God's people, being converted and not allowed to do this and that and such and so is not hard. It is a joy of heart to follow the Lord's footsteps. So let me try to spell it out for you. This war is serious, but there is still joy in this war. How can we joy at war? Well, the soldier has full confidence that his cause is good and that he is well-equipped and that his leaders are supporting him can have lots of courage to meet us a beat. We are going to beat the enemy. We will be successful. And you see so much courage and joy and, and, and strength and power in, in a person. He, he's going to fight. And they will win. See, that is joy. Joy in the war. And so God's people can have joy when they see the captain of their faith and see that he is doing the strike, that he is doing the war, that he is ahead of them, that he is the author and the finisher of faith, that they depend upon him. And God's Christian soldiers also know what faith is in God, to trust in him to rejoice in him. Yes, through Christ. That it says, right? A sincere joy of heart in God through Christ. Because through Christ it is only possible. If they will be alone in this war, without that captain, it will be a lost case. And it says with love and delight, so after conversion, after one moment, they begin to be hard on the old man, and the new man, the new man is growing and getting stronger, I hope. And he's quickened, coming to life. And that means love and delight. Think of a young couple that is dating and seriously considers marriage. You need to ask yourself the question if you like to marry this person. Would you like to spend the rest of your life with this man or this woman? And if you have no love for that and no delight in that and no desire for that, then don't do it. Don't marry because your mom wants you to marry. Or if you say, I really, I really want to marry this woman. I really want to exchange vows with this man. If you have a love and a delight in you, 
That's, that's not, that's not a, the duty. That's not an obligation. That's something you desire because of you know the person. And so in serving God, it is, there's also love and delight. It's a relationship. And without that, it will be hard work and slavery and bondage. And the Lord doesn't like it at all. And people serve him because they have to, because it's their duty, because it's, it's a heavy burden for them, and they struggle, and they fight, and they hang their head, and they say, I, I can't do this, and it's too hard for me, and that's not very pleasing to the Lord. The Lord, the Lord wants to be served with joy and with desire and with a hunger and a thirst for him, the living God. So in this war, the Savior himself encourages with his word and with his spirit. Let me show you. Let me hear this. Words of encouragement, how the Lord Jesus or God himself is encouraging the, the soldiers. Be strong. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doeth good with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. See? And the Lord speaks that to the hearts of his people, encouraging them they have joy. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's on the hearts of, the, of God's people, then they have joy and courage, and they can continue. Isaiah 41. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So serving God, young people, is not all impossible and dark and sobering. And there is that side as well. It is, it's a serious thing about eternity and sin and death. That's right. But that's not all. It's also another side of the coin. It is that love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. It's sincere. It's, it's a narrow pathway. It is narrow. Right. But it's good to be on. Think, for example, also of conquering a sin. It's a sin you have been struggling with. You try to conquer. You are fighting it, and you you come to a point that you say, "I've rid myself of this particular sin," and just you conquer that sin in the, with the help of the Lord, God's people, the help of the Lord. You have joy, joy in the war. It's a process now, and they have to continue fighting this war until the last breath. Brings to the last thought. Therefore, congregation, the result of that new birth, of that one-time conversion, and the process following it, is that there is a desire for holiness, a desire to do good works. Good works. What are good works, anyway? Children? You see an elderly person falling. You go there. Are you Okay. You hold a person's hand. Did you hurt yourself? So you call the ambulance. You're kind to the person. 
Is that evil? Is it wrong? Or is that good? Of course, it's good. Good that you do that. We need kind people. We need people helping one another. You you donate money to a charitable organization because they are feeding the poor. Is that wrong to just give a thousand dollars to them? Is it wrong? So we can do good things, can't we? We can help a person that has fallen. We can help an organization to reach out to the poor. I can make a long list of things we can do. Good things. You're civil. Not always rude, not always bad, but generous and patient. And we pray for people and we are faithfully coming to church. And is that not good? We read the children's Bible, stories to the children. We haven't killed anyone, haven't looked at pornography ever, have obeyed our parents. Many good things. So, what do I answer if people say, can we do good works? Should you say, of course you can. This depends on how you define what, what, what is really good, right? So, yes, you can put on a coat and take it off. We can sing a psalter or not. Things you can, things you cannot. And even those things... Even for those things, we need the help of the Lord. Otherwise, you cannot even open a salt book. But there's something else. For God, doing something good for God, for Him. That means something else. The Lord looks at the heart, right? We don't look at the heart. The Lord exactly knows why you want to help that lady that has fallen. Why you would like to donate the money. And often it is also to feel good yourself. Your motivation. What's your motivation? Is there any love for God? Is there any desire for Him? Is there any hoping in His salvation? Is there any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If those things are missing, it is not good at all. It's, it's just tradition. It's just behavior. It's just your habit. It's just yourself think of Matthew 6 when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily I say unto you that they have their reward be seen of men so many things so many side purposes we have in our hearts. So we may do good things, but we like to earn salvation. We like to merit something with them. And, and many think that way. Many think, as, as long as I do good, and I'm a good person, and help others, and then I go straight to heaven. I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm not perfect, but it's not bad, is it? Are you a bad person? And yet, if you look the way the Lord looks at people, it is not that good. Because the Lord says, for example, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat 
or drink. Well, eat, drink, that's good, right? Can you, be, can you eat wrong? Can you drink wrong? Whether for you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If it's not to God's glory, it's not good. It's selfish. And the same thing is true for faith. For something to be good, we need to do it in faith. Faith, believing, is a relationship, a knowing, a treasuring, a trusting of God. And without the faith, there's no relationship. Without faith, it's fake. Give it, let me give examples to, to, for the children. You like to drink some pop. You go to the fridge, you get, get a bullock, and you pour it in. It's flat. It's flat. You taste it. You dump it. I don't want to drink that. It's the same Coke. Same pop. There's no fish in it anymore. You don't like it. It's disgusting. See? And so I can use the example, for example, of uh, fries without salt. Children, no salt. So, so not tasteful at all. Or coffee. You don't drink coffee yet. There's some drink coffee, and it's, it's lukewarm, it's, it's cold, and you don't want to drink it anymore. Just because the temperature is lower. And so the Lord, at everything, looks at what's in there for me. What do I like in that? What's the taste of it? What is the warmth in it? What is, is, is there God's glory in there? Is there faith in there? If there's no faith in there, the Lord says, I can't, I can't stand it. I don't eat it. I don't want to use it. I don't like it at all. Hebrews 11. But with our faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If the faith is missing, it's not pleasing to him. It's how simple it is. Whatever you do, you do all the good things. Faith missing? The Lord is not pleased with it. Romans 14. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not in faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. There's no faith in it, it's, it's sin. So let me try to bring it home a little closer. Look back to the beginning of this day. How you woke up, had breakfast, and the church, spent this afternoon. Was there anything you say that was a sin, right? Was there anything? You think of anything that was a sin? Maybe you just had a big mouth. You said something horrible. Maybe not. Maybe you're behaving. Maybe it was just calm at all. My mother sometimes said, Sundays are sin days. It is really possible. Maybe it was not a sin day in that sense. Maybe it was a calm and behaving day. So you can't think of any sin? Okay. 
That's nice. Let me now just ask the other, the other side. Was anything good today? I mean, to God's glory. I mean, in warmth and love, in delight, in faith. There's something that you rejoiced in, to do that for the Lord, in thankfulness to Him. This from the heart, sincerely from the heart, with joy. Was there anything? Maybe you can say, maybe say, no, actually not. I can't think of anything that was so in particular loving God and believing in Him. Well, in that case, the whole day was sin. The whole day was sin. Everything, every minute that's not in faith and not to God's glory and not in love is meaningless. So when the Lord opens your eyes for that, for what is really good, at first you think that you're doing really good things, and then the Lord opens your eyes and you see there's actually nothing good. I mean, nothing. Nothing. There's no vision there. It's, 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 there's no, no taste in it for the Lord. There's nothing the Lord is pleased with. The Lord says, I, it, it's disgusting. So sin is quite something, right? Sin is missing the target. Sin is missing the purpose. Sin is missing God. You don't come to church with a stain on your pants, do you? Or a rip in your shirt? Because you, you, you I think... Your mother will say, don't wear it anymore. Just put it in the, in the garbage. It's, it's, it's not worth to repair it anymore. So for the Lord, for the Lord, things have to be really perfect because God is a holy God. Be holy because I am holy. So when the Lord looks at things and there's imperfection there, it is God. So look now at question 91, but what are good works? Only those which proceed from a true faith. So for true faith, you need conversion. You need a new heart. And with a new heart, there is no faith. So without a new heart, you can do good things, but you cannot do them good. You cannot do them well. And the Lord knows that. So you really need forgiveness for all those moments that faith and love and thankfulness are missing. That's a lot. Because we do not only do sin, we are sin. May our God make us believe that. Then our righteousnesses are becoming as filthy rags. What filthy rags are? Filthy rags. Job 15. What is man that he should be clean and he which is born of woman that he should be righteous? No one righteous. No one good. No one seeking God. And yet, the Lord saves the people himself. A people that cannot do anything good. That ruins everything. That there's, 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 there's no faith. 
and everything they do and think and say is sin. To still save such a people from their sins. Lost people who can only sin. He saves them for the glory of his name. For free. And he invites people also today. Hear him. He, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father said on the, on the day that he, that, he, that he spoke. On the day of, of the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. He is different. Listen to his voice. The Apostle Paul looked back at the end of his life. Look back. I have fought. A good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And forth, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. So the Lord will give a crown of righteousness to a people that knows about that sorrow, knows about that joy. So in heaven... God's people will glorify the Lord for his grace and mercy. They will together receive the crown of righteousness. And the Lord will honor his people because they have by grace honored him. And is that great reward? Reward? Yes. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto, he thought of, the recompense of the reward. He thought of heaven. He wanted to go to heaven because he wanted to have the reward in heaven. Therefore, he was fighting the good fight. Because you want to go to heaven. You say, so is that the right reason then? To go, to be, to, to be obedient to go in order to go to heaven? That's, that's again selfish. Well, yes, can be. Not necessarily. This depends. If you like to go to heaven for God's glory, if you like to go to heaven to rejoice in such a Savior. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If, you, if that's your reward, if that's the best thing they can give you, to always be with the Lord, that's a great reward. If that's your motivation, it's fine. Only those which proceed from a true faith are performed according to the love of God and to His glory. To his glory. If you like to go to heaven, to his glory, it's fine. Enter ye in, in the straight gate. Is that, 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 that natural road is so wide, and many follow the route. So the narrow pathway. That's, that's the hard way. For the flesh, not for the new man, for the old man's heart, to about the, the narrow pathway. But it's, it's a good way. It's a good future. 
to always be with the Lord. Amen.